welcome to the Legal Merry-Go-Round, where you can learn to avoid the downs and savor the ups. Here, 40-year veteran attorney Paul Samico will entertain you and help you understand the law in areas we might all face. Brushes with the police? Oh boy. Family disputes? Oh no. An injury and accident situations? Ouch. And now, here's Paul. Hi there, and thank you so much for listening in today to the Legal Merry-Go-Round. Yes, the ups and downs of the law and the ups and downs of everyday life. So I'm always going to encourage you to avoid the downs and savor the ups. I'm your host, Attorney Paul Samico, and I want to thank you so much for listening in and giving me your ear for the next half hour or so. I want to talk about a situation that is very prevalent in our society when people get divorced and have kids, or even if they're not married and they separate and they have kids, the issue of child support. Who is supposed to pay for what and how much? Well, different states have different ideas, but what I'm going to describe today, I hope, is pretty much universal. Of course, there's always going to be some you know, ups and downs like the merry-go-round and that carnival ride and what every state has as its particulars in the law here. But mostly, I think what I'm going to provide is some good information for you if this is a situation that you're looking at. And I'm going to provide some cases and tell you what happened. So under the law in every state, both parents are responsible for the care and the welfare and the support and the education of their children until each child graduates high school or turns either 18 or 19 years old, whichever occurs first. Now, that's an important age because once the child turns 18 or 19, the child is considered to be emancipated, even if they're still living at home. The child has the ability now with that age or with a high school education to go out and support him or herself. Now, that might be pretty cold and that might be pretty harsh, but the obligation of a parent by state law to continue supporting a child of that age pretty much most of the time is, is extinguished. No requirement to can you continue, supri- uh, continue supplying uh, support for such a child. The statutes in most states provide that basic child support obligations shall be divided between the parties in proportion to their actual incomes. Now keep in mind that it doesn't matter whether the couple is married or not. If they have children together and decide to part ways, one or both parents is going to be responsible to pay monthly child support to the other parent. Okay, well, this is where it gets interesting. Most states take very seriously, as you would hope and expect, the responsibility to pay child support. In fact, many local agencies are empowered to enforce these child support court orders to ensure that monies that are due are paid. So a little advice here, if you're filing for separation or divorce from your spouse or your partner, it's obviously important that you understand your legal rights when it comes to paying or receiving child support. 
I encourage you to speak with an attorney, an experienced family law attorney, as soon as possible to make sure that you're aware of your rights and your obligations. Now, most states have what are called child support guidelines. You plug in the numbers, how much one is making and how much the other parent is making, and there's kind of like a chart or a formula or guideline that says how much child support is supposed to be paid. Obviously, the parent that's making more money is supposed to pay uh, child support to the parent who's making less money. But as you're going to understand by the time you get finished listening to the show today, that's not always the case. Under the guidelines of most states, courts must consider and calculate each parent's income. In some cases, one or both parents may be unemployed, and that could complicate the issue. In these cases, courts will make a determination as to what the unemployed parent is, whether the unemployed parent, I should say, is voluntarily unemployed, voluntarily impoverished. Now, in order to make that determination, the courts are going to look at a variety of factors, such as the person's education, their physical condition, the timing with respect to the changes of employment or financial circumstances, past work history, particular job market conditions, efforts made to find and maintain employment, history of withholding child support, and the parents' relationship with each other. Certainly in today's COVID pandemic world, many, many people are probably facing this situation where they had a good job and all of a sudden, because of the COVID pandemic and uh, the rules requiring uh, uh, quarantine and the rules requiring social distancing, many people in many industries, uh, their incomes are reduced or they're entirely eliminated. And so I wouldn't doubt that now there's going to be a whole bevy of people going into courts looking for modification of existing child support orders. Now, voluntarily impoverished, impoverishment, uh, when that finding is made, the court will usually impute or assign an amount of income that the parent is deemed to be able to earn. So, you're working at a job and all of a sudden now you're required to pay 500, 1,000, 1,500, 2,000 a month for child support. And you say, huh, the heck with that. I'll just uh, stop working. Well, it doesn't work that way. That's what the concept of voluntary impoverishment is all about. It's particularly important whether or not the parent is able to pay, the amount due and owing will continue to accrue. So if you're looking at issues of child support, uh, family law-related matter, again, you must get an attorney. You must understand your legal rights and your legal obligations. The example I discussed about the world of, that we're in now with COVID allows for an understanding in all states called a material change of circumstances, where the person making payments has a substantially reduced income or no income at all through no fault of his or her own. And they can go to court seeking an order to modify the existing child support requirement or obligation. 
particularly when it comes to children, one of the things that the courts look for is stability. This makes it very difficult to modify a child support obligation once a court order is in place. It's done to assure that stability and ongoing proper support of the child are maintained. Hmm. When a supporting parent does experience a major change, a dramatic reduction in income, the law does, however, have a path to obtaining a reduction. In 2018, a father, Mr. Taylor, went to court, asked the trial court to reduce his child support obligation. He was a software engineer who had lost his job. The mother, Ms. Friedman, opposed the father's request. The trial court held a hearing and at first denied Mr. Taylor's request for a modification and a reduction. Shortly thereafter, however, the court changed its order and reduced Taylor's child support from $1,500 a month to $250 a month. The mother appealed. Ms. Freeman said, no, that's not right. She claimed that the appeals court, uh, that the law was uh, requiring a material change in circumstances had not been proved in order to modify the support order. Well, her appeal was not successful. In order to qualify as the sort of material change of circumstances to allow for a reduction, a modification in child support, an event has to have two, two characteristics, two things must be there. First, it must be relevant to the level of of support a child is actually receiving or entitled to receive. And second, it must be of sufficient magnitude to justify the court getting involved and modifying the court order. So despite the mom's arguments here, the dad had the required proof to meet the requirements. He submitted to the court a letter stating that his employer was terminating his employment Uh, because a customer had decided to revoke his security clearance, but the employer encouraged uh, the father here to apply for other openings within his company. He did that and wasn't able to secure employment. So along with his other proof, he established that he had involuntarily lost his job and that the job loss had triggered a substantial reduction in his income. So despite all of his best efforts, he had not secured another engineering job, and he actually began giving golfing lessons. So before, when he had his regular job, he was making about $12,500 a month, software engineer, nice job. He loses his job, and now he's making less than $1,400 a month, uh, about one-tenth of what he had previously been earning as a golf instructor. His involuntary job loss, a replacement job, if you will, yielded a reduction uh, of income that was more than 85%. So generally, again, state by state will have different rules, but if the change in your employment or loss of a job has triggered uh, typically 25% or more in your income, a change, courts may consider this material enough to modify court orders. The last thing I want to talk about before we hit the break is how this concept of imputed income works and how it can affect a child support case in Maryland. 
Virginia, D.C. This is a Maryland case that I'm reading from, but again, it applies, I think, the concepts in, in virtually every state across our great country. In child support cases, the supporting parent's income is one of the most essential pieces of evidence in determining how much the support should be, how much should be paid. Sometimes a parent, however, not, you know, being, you know, the the way they they should be, uh, might engage in actions to try to dodge paying support. One of these is, again, this concept that I've spoken about here, voluntarily uh, impoverishing themselves, quitting their day job. Now, when the recipient parent gives the court proof that this has occurred and the supporting parent does nothing to rebut it, uh, to disprove it, it is proper that the court impute additional income to the supporting parent and calculate child support based on that higher figure. So if I'm an able-bodied person and I can go out and work and I just choose to sit home on the couch and do nothing, the court is going to look and see what I should be earning and, uh, and impute that or attach that amount of money that I should be earning and determine child support based on that figure. There's a case in Maryland, divorced couple were the parents of two children, and for most of the time, the kids lived with the mom and the dad paid child support to the mother for both kids. Now, once the kids got older, the circumstances changed. The change in circumstances led the dad to go back to court to request a modification of the child support order that had previously been in place. The father says that since the older child is no longer a minor, now the child is 19, and the younger child lived with him, the court should terminate his child support obligation and should order the mom to pay child support for the younger kid. Whoa. Additionally, the dad argues that the mom was voluntarily impoverished. She worked at a liquor store uh, her fiancé owned at the time. Uh, She managed the store's books and directly decided to pay herself only a minimum wage salary for her work. Before this, she had worked in a position earning about $45,000 a year. So when the judge heard all this evidence, he agreed and found that the mom had voluntarily impoverished herself. The court assigned an income to her, even though she only earned minimum wage. Assigning this income meant that for the purpose of calculating child support that now mom owed to dad, the courts followed child support guidelines for an amount higher than what she was actually making. So in this case, that meant the mom had to pay the dad about $560 a month because he was the one uh, taking care and had the little kid, the younger child, living with him. As you might expect, the mom appeals, but the lower court, the trial court judge's ruling remained in place. Different states' rulings have established a list of factors, Maryland it's 10, for trial courts to consider in deciding if a child's impoverish, if excuse me, a parent's impoverishment is voluntary for the purpose of imputing income in a support case. One of the factors in analyzing voluntary impoverishment is the timing of certain events. The timing. So when the father first filed his child support case, as I mentioned, 
Mom was earning about 45K a year, an income she conveniently lost after the father initiated his action. If he can provide the court with evidence that the uh, employer involuntarily terminated you, uh, if she could provide evidence, I should say, that her employer uh, terminated her uh, and that she engaged in a diligent search for similar employment, she might not have to have the consequence of ending up uh, paying the father in this case, but that wasn't what happened. In this case, the mom never gave the trial court any proof that she ever searched for a job with a similar salary to the one she lost. And it actually came out that she reduced her own salary. She took a job where, by her own choice, paid herself minimum wage. Okay, people can be sneaky when it comes to money, but tsk, 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 she got caught. Any child support case, of course, is important since the outcome directly affects the welfare of the children. It's particularly true if you're dealing with a case in which an ex-spouse is hiding assets or engaging in actions to voluntarily impoverish themselves. The bottom line advice, again, likely you're not equipped to figure all this out and to know what to do. Get an attorney. Now, when I come back after the break, I've got three very interesting concepts that have to do with child support. What happens if the kids live with a higher earning parent? So after the break, I'm going to tell you. Next, what concept is there about child support that has to do with concepts of shared custody or sole custody? Shared custody or sole custody. What's the difference and how will that affect the obligation to pay child support? And finally, what about extracurricular activities for the little kids? Who's supposed to pay for them? Camp, um, all the different things that kids might want to do, sports teams, that sort of thing, music, dance, uh, religious activities. Who's supposed to pay for those? How does that get factored into child support? Enjoy the time that I'm away from you with the break. Listen to the little ad that I have for my Samaco Club. I hope that you'll consider joining it. At least go to the website and take a look at it and see what it's all about. This is a relatively new show, and I would sincerely appreciate you giving me a rating and a review and consider subscribing. Your support means everything to me, and it's going to mean the difference between my success or not here with this show. See you after the break. Starbucks, we've all been there, even me. I don't even drink coffee. I go and get it for my wife. Thought you were going to the break, didn't you? Okay, well, I had to tell you this. This is just too good to be true. In 2006, this Illinois man sues Starbucks for misrepresenting the amount of liquid contained in its cold drinks because they add ice, and that reduces the amount of the liquid contained in the cups. So he sues them for any number of things, including fraud, breach of warranty, unjust enrichments, and violations of various state consumer protection laws. Uh, judge dismisses it, and I'm sure you uh, could figure out, agreeing with Starbucks, that a reasonable customer who orders ice drinks expects the drink to contain both liquid and ice. Bada boom, bada bing, 
Uh, I'm sure we're all continuing to go to Starbucks. And, you know, if you don't want the ice, just tell the person, uh, light on the ice, please. Now here's the break. Okay, it's break time here on the merry-go-round. We want to give you value. So, do you need an attorney for an injury case or a criminal matter or something involving family law? Mr. Samico has the answer for you. Go to our podcast website, www.thelegalmerrygoround.com. Again, that's thelegalmerrygoround.com and click on the referrals tab. Then either fill out the form or call the telephone number where you can leave a detailed message that Mr. Samico will pick up and you'll get a response with a referral to an excellent attorney in your area within eight business hours. And the referral is free, no charge to you for this referral. So again, if you're looking for a lawyer that meets the highest standards, Paul is going to hook you up. And every attorney he refers to meets the highest standards, and Paul has checked them out for you. If you like what you're hearing from him during these shows, you know he's going to take care of you. So go to thelegalmerrygoround.com. And now, back to the show. Well, we're back, and I hope that you're listening to this just out of idle curiosity and that you're not ever going to be in a position to be involved in a child support matter. I hope if you're married or if you have a partner and you have children with someone else, that it's a harmonious, loving, and wonderful relationship forever and ever and ever. And there's no possibility ever that you're going to be separated from your child's parent and that you'll ever have to be facing who's going to pay. But unfortunately, that's not the case for too many people. So we talked in the first half about the routine framework of child support and how it's put together. But like the merry-go-round, there's always ups and there's always downs. So I asked before the break, what happens if the children live with the higher earning parent? What happens? We understand that typically the higher earning parent doesn't have the majority of time with the children. It's typically the lower earning parent that might have most of the time with the children. Everyone assumes that they know certain things about family law cases. When you share custody of your children with your ex-spouse and your ex-spouse has the children the majority of the time, many people might assume that either you're paying child support to your ex-spouse Or maybe, if the incomes are about the same, nobody is paying support. Did you know that this is not necessarily always the case? In some situations, based on what you make and what your ex-spouse makes, your ex-spouse may actually be the one to pay child support, even though the children reside with you less than 50% of the time. Yup. Okay, let's explain this. 
By the way, this goes to show you should never assume anything when it comes to the law. Ups and downs, merry-go-round, I'm telling you, you gotta keep listening to me. Instead, when this is a situation, I keep saying this in these family law circumstances, you need to get yourself an experienced family law attorney to get the facts and explain things to you. Your rights, your obligations. Here's an example of how this can happen. The mom made about $108,000 annually as a physician. Initially, the dad made a little bit more, about $130,000 a year, and he paid the mom about $1,400 a month in child support. The father had the children for about 35% of the time during the course of the year, 35% of the overnight sleepovers when he had the children with him. And the children stayed with the mom uh, the remaining 65% of the time. Now, keep with me here. Follow this. Three years after the divorce, the father asked to modify the child support. He had evidence which included expert testimony of his accountant indicating that his income had plummeted to just $31,000 from $130,000. The trial court mostly accepted everything he said and ultimately concluded that the father had experienced the sort of material change in circumstances, I explained what that meant in the first half, that the law required to make a change in his child support. So the judge used those new income figures and applied them to the child support guidelines. The guidelines indicated that because the mom made more than the dad, triple more than what he made, the child support calculation was drastically different. Even though she had the children 65% of the time, the father's reduction in income indicated that he now, instead of paying her some $1,400 a month, he would be getting just less than $400 a month from the mother in child support. Woo, the pendulum swung there, didn't it? This positive outcome for the father was based on his attorney's good work and understanding the amount of evidence needed uh, to show what had occurred. The father had several of his and his business tax returns in recent years, along with expert testimony of his accountant, showing the drastic reduction. The mother tried to argue that the father was obligated under law to provide not only his tax returns, but copies of his receipts and expenses in order to be able to entitle, to be able to, to prove the modification, uh, to prove the reduction, I should say, and support the modification he sought. Courts concluded this was not correct. He did not need to bring in receipts, and the proof that he gave to the trial judge was sufficient to support his request for reduced support. Very interesting. Now, I asked also, before I went to break, how the concepts of shared custody and sole custody, what that has to do with child support. So you got to keep up with me here. This is important stuff. When it comes to setting up a child custody schedule, very small differences have the potential to have very large impacts. A difference of just a few overnight visits a month can greatly alter what would be owed in child support. 
Potentially one or even two extra overnights can mean owing the difference between hundreds or even thousands. If those extra nights give shared custody. In other words, it pays to exercise great care and attention when it comes to a custody schedule in a marital settlement agreement. And once again, make sure you have an attorney helping you with this. You can't do it on your own. What is that expression? I love it. You don't know what you don't know. So pay for it now, get it done right, and it'll save you in the future. All right, back to the question. How can a slight alteration of a custody schedule make a big difference in child support? Here's a recent case. In this particular state where this case came from, the dividing line was 35%, or roughly about 128 overnight visits with the children. So if there is less than that, the other parent has sole physical custody. Okay, 35%. If the other parent has 65%, that parent has sole physical custody. Now, when that number changes, the court in this state considered that the parents had shared physical custody, and that made all the difference in the world. In this case, the father had visitation on alternating weekends, alternating Wednesday evenings, some federal holidays, and a part of the summer. He was required to pay 2600 and change a month in child support, but later asked the judge to reduce his obligation. He argued that his support obligation was being calculated as if the mother had sole physical custody. But based on the number of overnights the kids were with him, the court made a determination that no, it wasn't sole physical custody for the mom, it was shared joint physical custody. So the court eventually decided that dad was entitled to a hearing to present this case for reduction, and with the evidence, the court decided a change in the custody schedule uh, increased his overnights from approximately 128 nights a year to about 142 nights a year. Slight difference, but at 142 nights a year, he had the children more than 35% of the time. It was determined it was 39% of the time. So the adjustment for shared physical custody made a big difference. It's tied to the way the child support is calculated in this state. If the state looks at these types of different understandings of custody, sole versus shared, and most do, the child support obligation is adjusted to make up for differentials. So in this state, because the kids had more than 35% of the time with the father, it was determined that he shared custody and the amount of support that he had to pay was reduced. The other parent uh, in this case of course, didn't like this. There was an appeal, and the appellate court agreed that, yes, this was a case of shared custody. There are a lot of legal issues to consider at every step of the divorce and post-divorce process when it comes to child custody and child support. If your ex-spouse is going to be the child's primary custodian, but the children are going to spend ample time with you, it could be very important to work out a schedule that ensures that you have access to the children 
as in this state example, 35% or more of the time. That would theoretically reduce the amount of custody uh, support that you would have to pay. The next, the next, the next thing and the last, you understand what I just did. I put together next and last and said lext. The last thing I want to talk about is the concept of the kids' extracurricular activities. Who pays for them? Now, every parent, I'm sure, has his or own own ideas about what the kids should have in their formative years as experiences. This could include discipline-building activities like participating in team sports. It might be cultural activities like music or dance. Uh, Spiritual activities are very important. Church camp, for example. So the different parents may have different ideas about some or all of these things. And they might determine that some of these things are essential to the child's development. But the law sees them differently when it comes to paying for them. These activities in determining a parent's child support obligations are not tied necessarily to one or the other parent's uh, opinions about uh, what is and what is not essential. A parent's child support obligation should not factor in a child's extracurricular activities as an additional form of mandatory support above and beyond the basic support obligation, even if those activities are desirable. Okay, that bears repeating. Just because one or the other parent wants to put the child into sports doesn't mean that the one paying the child support now has to pay more. The only way a court can tack on these activities and the expense for them if, is if they're necessary for a child's special needs, for example, such as advanced programming for a gifted child, or maybe remedial tutoring for an academically challenged child. Activities, like I mentioned, a child's camp, private instructions for sports, maybe like tennis or golf, music or dance lessons, um, costs of a child's uh, participation in a club or traveling sports teams are all the things that a parent is not required to pay as additional child support. As a result, these expenses are included within the basic child support obligation. So here's how that process might work. If the cost of, say, attending a child, uh, the cost, say, of of a child attending a school is something that can be included in the parent's child support obligation, the law requires that the parents pay for these expenses in proportion to their respective income. In other words, a 50-50 split of these costs isn't necessarily proper unless the parents had equal incomes. If um, the, the, the parents agree that this is something they want to do, then they need to potentially increase the overall child support payment but each contribute to that extra expense. Child support is a very touchy situation when you don't have money. It's touchy enough when you do. And unfortunately, parents that pay child support, eventually, perhaps some, resent it. Well, 
you shouldn't have had the kids if you're not willing to take care of them. And many of you listening might disagree with me and might be offended that I said that. And frankly, this is my show and you get my opinions. Too bad. If you separate and you have kids, your first obligation is to take care of those kids. And that means chalking up the money. But there are lots of things that go on. Life has many ups and many downs, the legal merry-go-round, that can change circumstances. So I hope that you've listened to this and you can uh, go back and listen to it as many times as you'd like. This is a new show, relatively speaking, for me. So I'd love if you review me, give me a rating, subscribe. You can go to my law firm, my, excuse me, my podcast website and listen to this or on any of the places where you listen to podcasts and can listen to this over and over again. I do hope, as I said at the beginning, that you have a wonderful marriage and a wonderful life filled with joy and love and children who are going to look like the other parent. I don't want them to look like you because you're ugly. No, I'm just kidding. I hope that the children have a wonderful and productive and healthy life and upbringing in every possible way. But if and when the situation develops that mom and dad or dad and dad or mom and mom can't get along and there are children involved, they must keep in mind that supporting those children is one of the essential things in their life forevermore. Best wishes to you. Thank you for giving me your ear. And I hope that you always remember to avoid the downs and savor the ups on that world I call the legal merry-go-round. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the legal merry-go-round. We hope you enjoyed our show. Tune in next time to get a better understanding of real-life legal situations. Thank you.